Here's what I initially set out to do. Research and present my findings on baptism as something not so dissimilar from the ongoing ritualistic washing intended for holy living that we find in Torah. You see, after so many consecutive years of cyclically reading the books of Moshe, I started noticing something. A Torah-pursuant individual, such as myself, is constantly fluctuating between a clean and unclean existence. On any given day, all sorts of personal actions or circumstances beyond myself might designate me as unclean. For example, if I have sex, or for any reason secrete seed, I am unclean. There is, however, a remedy for that. Washing. Do you see where I'm going with this? Probably. Let's see what Torah has to say on the matter anyways. And if any man's seed of copulation go out from him, then he shall wash all his flesh in water, and be unclean until the even. And if every garment and every skin, whereon is the seed of copulation, shall be washed with water, and be unclean until the even. The woman also with whom man shall lie with seed of copulation, they shall both bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the even. Leviticus chapter 15, 16 through 18. Perhaps I am simply slow, as it took me several periodic readings to undress what the text is ultimately getting at here. Do you see it? If you happen to be reading along with the article, then I highlighted the prescription for you. That is, the unclean person shall wash himself with water. But do you really see it? Perhaps not. Let's keep hacking away at Leviticus then, because I'm not ready to tell you what it is quite yet. The same text continues on, turning its attention from men, and then men and women, as we have just seen, to simply women, specifically menstruating women. And if a woman have an issue, and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days, and whosoever touches her shall be unclean until the even. And everything that she lieth upon in her separation shall be unclean. Everything also that she sits upon shall be unclean. And whosoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. And whosoever touches anything that she sat upon, shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. And if it be on her bed, or on anything whereon she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the even. And if any man lie with her at all, and her flowers be upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and all the bed whereupon he lies shall be unclean. Leviticus chapter 15, 19-24 The hope, of course, is to be clean, as no unclean person can enter the tabernacle or the temple, where the presence of Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, resides. More than anything, I want you to carry that visual. A man who has secreted, or a woman who has been secreted with, or a man who has touched the bed of a menstruating woman 
may not enter the presence of the Most High. Before the sun goes down, his or their prescription is to wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water. I could go on with more examples, but the point has been made. Holy living insists upon the pursuit of cleanliness. Bathing. That is not to say that being unclean is a sin. Sex and marriage isn't a sin. Menstruation isn't a sin. There are some unclean actions which certainly are a sin, such as eating unclean animals or taking part in abominations. Applicable to this discussion, therefore, is being obstinately unclean. If we purposefully pitch a fork into the pork and then raise it to our mouths, we intend to become unclean by way of abomination. Indeed, in the same manner, refusing to wash one's garments or flesh may very well be a transgression of the law. Where is the set-apart living in that? Before you attempt to disfigure what I'm getting at, allow me to give the short of my conclusion. The regimented routine of bathing is a ritual reserved not simply for holy living, but for a kingdom of priests. Think about that long and hard. Let the thought marinate. Priest, the kingdom of heaven, heavenly priest. And just so we're clear, what we have just read isn't addressing the Levites. Yahuwah wants his people, the sons and daughters of Yasharel, to be a clean people, a kingdom of priests. I now realize that I've taken up three pages, and this really should be an article all its own. But we're going to trudge on in favor of the history of baptism, because somewhere along the way, Christianity decided to ditch circumcision and baptism in favor only of baptism. If we're being technical and straight to the point, the old-time religion forsook clean, set-apart living as a whole, as the scripture provided has already exhibited. Eventually, baptism was diminished, like circumcision, even discarded to the newfound practice and importance of the altar call. You may have heard of the altar call before. The act involves a persuasive sermon and a follow-up prayer akin to inviting Jesus into your heart, whereas baptism is optional. I'm here to tell you that I've scoured the ancient pages and, so far, the invitation prayer cannot be found anywhere. Meanwhile, baptism and circumcision are still crucial as it pertains to crossing over. Only the doctrines of men will say otherwise. And no, circumcision was never done away with, but that's a discourse for another time, as the intended subject of this paper is the once and ongoing importance of immersion in water throughout our weekly spiritual walk. Just as importantly, becoming a Hebrew by way of baptism is nothing new. Someone will be tempted to tell me it all began with Yohanan the baptizer and is therefore a Christian doctrine. If so, then that person is wrong. Becoming a child of Yasharel has always begun with baptism. Obviously, most people's knowledge of baptism rarely ventures beyond the horizon of Yahusha's Great Commission. I figure that's as good a place as any to start this investigation. Perhaps we will notice something new. Let's have a go at it. And Yeshua came and said to them, Yahuwah gave me power in the heavens and in the earth. Therefore, 
Go preach to all the peoples and immerse them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Ruach HaKodesh and teach them all that I commanded you. And I will be with you in all time until the end of the world. The Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, 18-20 I noticed something new. Did you? Well, I did. Yahushua placed baptism on equal ground with teaching and preaching to all nations. Some versions prefer the phrase, make disciples. Must be important then. But then notice what I marked in red. When was the last time that you heard the part where Yahushua says, teaching them to guard all things whatsoever I have commanded you? Pastors drop that phrase like a bad habit. Or they just skim right over the fine print, hoping it might go unnoticed. That should tell us something. Christianity is so far removed from the teachings of Yahushua that they might as well do everyone a favor and refer to themselves as anti-Christian, given their penchant for lawlessness. Being lawless simply implies having no law or no longer feeling obligated to obey it via age of grace or whatever. Kind of like the man of lawlessness. I'm sure he's abounding in grace. Contrarily, something else entirely is being advocated in Yahusha's commission. Torah. Don't believe me? Yahusha tells us where he finds his teaching. Yeshua answered and said, My teaching is not mine but it is from him who sent me. If any, man desires to, if any man desires to do the desire of El, he will recognize the teaching, whether it is from El or if his word is from himself. The Hebrew Gospel of John, chapter 7, 16-17. Another one of those passages where it's awfully difficult not to take a highlighter out to the whole thing. Simple deductions should inform us that going out into the world and teaching or preaching to all people needs to line up with Elohim's teachings. Uh-oh, that would be found in the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of your Bible, as not even Yahushua's teachings are his own. You see, nothing new. The Most High Elohim would have to be bipolar to teach one doctrine and then change his mind and teach another. Yahushua furthermore states that such an individual, the person who obeys Yahuwah's law and teaches others to do the same, will recognize the son of Elohim's teaching as the same. Hmm, a clue. Messiah would have to be a bad son indeed to go about destroying his father's work. Wouldn't you agree? Before moving into Torah territory, we should take one more glance at the Great Commission but from another perspective. The Hebrew Gospel of Mark paints Yahushua's Great Commission with the following words. And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the word of the King of the heavens to every creation. He who believes and is dipped, he will be saved. But he who does not will be destroyed. The Hebrew Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, 15-16. Seems rather important, no? It says right here, those who do not, meaning those who fail to be baptized for lack of belief, will be destroyed. If this describes you, if you have yet to be baptized, then please do yourself a favor and seek someone out to baptize you today, or as soon as possible. Don't put it off. 
Your level of belief in the coming kingdom and the destruction of the disobedient will dictate your actions. You can convince yourself and everybody around you that you believe, but does Yah know that? Actions speak louder than words. And no, Yahushua's disciples were not ordained ministers of the local denomination, nor were they seminary students. We are dealing with the Great Commission, and Yahushua has just deputized all of his followers. If you are baptized and obedient to his commands, then you too are deputized. Become a baptizer today. The main point that I have so far been trying to make is that belief in Yahushua and the teachings of Yahushua, which derive from our Heavenly Father, are synonymous with baptism. Here's a compatible example from an entire group of early followers. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of Elohim and the name of Yahushua HaMashiach, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Shimon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, 12 through 13. In conclusion, believers believed and were baptized, just like that. No excuses, ifs, ands, or bottoms. This wasn't a non-committal relationship. They didn't get to know Yahusha over several months or years even before finally agreeing to hand over the keys to their apartment. This wasn't a marriage with a five-year honeymoon before they were ready for children. Baptism was an immediate response to their coming to faith. A dozen or so verses down and we already read another baptismal account. I'm showing it, but only because there's something I want you to notice. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Yahusha. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Yahusha HaMashiach is the son of Elohim. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, 35-38 What would have happened had the eunuch not said anything? For one, we are given no indication that Philip would have stopped the chariot and begged him to be baptized. It was all the eunuch's doing. He saw his opportune moment and didn't let him pass him by. It says he declared his belief that Yahushua HaMashiach was the son of Elohim, presumably with all his heart. And then, as a result of his declaration, he was dipped. Again, find a pool of water. Immerse yourself, man. Dunk. Johannan the baptizer was going about the plains of the Jordan baptizing in preparation for the coming kingdom. This involves repentance, obviously, as baptism without penitence is pointless. We read as much in Matthew chapter 3. In those days, Johannan the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Yehuda and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But there's more to the kingdom than that. In a little while, we shall see why someone like Herod would despise Johannan the Baptist. Here's a hint, though. He was deputizing everybody. Johannan was baptizing for the repentance of sin. Now, 
Some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God as a just punishment of what Herod had done against John, who was called the Baptist. I'm reading from Josephus, by the way. For Herod had killed this good man, who had commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, righteousness towards one another, and piety towards God. For only thus, in John's opinion, would the baptism he administered be acceptable to God, namely, if they used it to obtain not pardon for some sins, but rather the cleansing of their bodies, inasmuch as it was taken for granted that their souls had already been purified by justice. Now many people came in crowds to him, for they were greatly moved by his words. Herod, who feared that the great influence John had over the masses might put them into his power and enable him to raise a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything he should advise, thought it best to put him to death. In this way, he might prevent any mischief John might cause and not bring himself into difficulties by sparing a man who might make him repent of it when it should be too late. Josephus, War of the Jews. Just so you know, that's not exactly why I believe Herod hated Johann and the Baptist. Not because of a physical rebellion, that is. Sure, Herod had no desire to repent. No debate there. Moral pressure to conform certainly wasn't coming from elsewhere, as the priesthood was mostly bought and paid for. What Johannin was ultimately doing, though, was creating another sort of rebellion. A militant group not of this world. A Meshelzedek army. Before this is over, you'll hopefully know what I mean by that. Baptism, you see, can be traced back to and through the order of the ancients. That would be the Meshelzedek priesthood. The following passage is ascribed to Eliyahu the prophet. If the name confuses you, then you'd know him as Elijah. And FYI, Eliyahu was a Meshelzedek. When such a man comes forward to present himself as a candidate for admission into the order, he should be examined carefully by the elders of the community. And having been proved worthy... He must enter into a covenant in the presence of Elohim, the holy messengers, and his brethren of the order, by entering into the waters of purification, that he will do according to all that Elohim has commanded, and not turn away from the service of Yahuwah through fear of wicked men or devils, nor through discouragement because of the trials which Belial shall send against him. For Yahuwah Elohim has appointed that all who seek to live after his holy order shall be tried and purified until their gold is pure and their dross consumed. When a man has entered into the covenant in the waters of purification, the elders of the community are to lay their hands upon his head and bless him. Book of the Order of the Ancients, Chapter 4, 1-2 through Understand what is being spoken here. According to Eliyahu the prophet, A person cannot enter into a covenant with Elohim, and certainly not into the brotherhood, unless he is first dipped. You will tell me that the Meshelzedeks are being referred to, and you are not one of them. Well, what order does our high priest stem from then? Exactly. Yahusha is a Meshelzedek. That should then beg the question, why are so many souls inhabiting the congregation, trying to convince us of their genuine intentions, when in fact they have yet to commit to the faith, let alone believe. Baptism isn't simply symbolic. It's do or die. It's enter the camp or remain in the outer darkness. 
we have probably all been told it's an outward action to an inward act and that Yah knows our heart. But as we shall come to find, it's only so symbolic as washing off the stink from your own flesh, or in specific kingdom terms, dying with Messiah and rising from the grave. I can feel it. Right this very moment, somebody is protesting on the basis that they've just now combed the table of contents in their King James 66 book canon and cannot find the order of the ancients anywhere. Must be heretical then. Fine. Let's turn to another trusted source, just to verify the practice is something older than Yohanan. This one comes from Ezekiel. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness, and from all your idols, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new ruach will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my ruach within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments, and do them. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25-27 Water, check. Repentance, check. The gifted Ruach. Check. Sounds like a baptism to me. Also, it says right here that his Ruach is put within you to cause you to walk in his statutes, and ye shall keep his judgments and do them. Hmm. Pastors always like to leave out that part. How does it go again? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthen me, except Torah. That's works-based. Definitely can't do that. We've got grace now. Yeah, that translation isn't in my Bible either. Still, some will argue that Ezekiel is simply prophesying of a future time when Yahuwah will finally enact baptismal rites. Well, since I've already thought to bring up Josephus, we might as well have another go at it. The same historian traces baptism even further back than Eliyahu. Let's see how far back he goes. Just as one who is to be admitted to Judaism must first submit to the three ceremonies of circumcision, baptism, and sacrifice, so Israel did not receive the Torah until they had performed these three. Baptism was imposed upon them two days before the revelation on Mount Sinai. Josephus, Legend of the Jews There it is again, circumcision. Another topic for another hour, though. Let's not get sidetracked. The point here is that a first century non-Messianic is saying baptism was universally practiced as a crossing over action into the house of Yehuda, aside from Yohanan and Yehusha's influences. Full immersion was used for the proselytes, or rather, the goyim, to enter into covenant with Yahuwah and become part of the Yehudim. Baptism was actually the starting point. So, to be clear, it wasn't simply Yohanan and Yehusha who were commanding baptism as an act of obedience. That being said, who was Yehusha sending his disciples out for? If you say the lost sheep of Yasharel, then you would be correct. When it comes to baptism being imposed, Josephus seemingly gets one minute detail wrong. But we'll give him a pass, as he's only neglecting to mention the fact that baptism can be traced even further back than Sinai. We'll follow that breadcrumb trail in a moment. What baptism is Josephus referring to? Perhaps 
he is directing us to the following event. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Yasharel. And Moshe came and called for the elders of the people, and laid before their faces all these words which Yahuwah commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do. And Moshe returned the words of the people unto El Yahuwah. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Lo, I come unto you in a thick cloud, and the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. And Moshe told the words of the people unto El Yahuwah. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day Yahuwah will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, 6-11 The long-standing belief, at least in the Judaism of Josephus' time, as well as today, is that the children of Yasharel washed their clothes while they were still on. Hopefully, the passage we started with in Leviticus 15 will ring a bell. And now that I think about it, the parable of Yahusha and the wedding feast, particularly the garments and the person who came into the feast wearing the wrong garment, may indeed be a reference to this event in Exodus chapter 19. It's okay, you can say it. Baptism. Even Shaul, my old sparring partner, refers seemingly to the same thing when writing. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moshe in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual food, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Mashiach. But with many of them Elohim was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-5 What if I were to tell you the law is even older than Sinai? The law is eternal. You might very well say that its beginning can be found even before the foundations of the world. Many of you probably already expected me to say that at some point. It was just a matter of time. You figure there is that one person, though, somewhere on this motionless plane, who might have just had their mind blown. If the law predates Sinai, then one can only presume baptism does too. Let's comb the pages of scripture and find out. Oh, here we go. Already found it. Even Abraham baptized converts. But they didn't teach you that in Sunday school, now did they? According to Pharaoh's request, I laid my hands upon him and prayed over him, and he and all the males of Egypt were healed. When the king had been blessed, he was that he had recovered, and he praised Yahuwah for his recovery. Wherefore, I took him into his garden and baptized him in the name of Yahuwah and all his household with him. And when I had blessed him again, Sarai came before him, and he knew that he had been healed, for the Ruach of Elohim fell upon him, and this testimony and the witness thereof was sure. The Writings of Abraham, chapter 73. 
Abraham, like Eliyahu, was a Meshelzedek. I'm starting to sense a theme here. The Meshelzedeks took a liking to the dunk. The passage we just read comes from the writings of Abraham. Well, the same book has more to say on baptism. Hang with me, because this is where it really starts to get good. Although I gave these ordinances in the beginning unto Adam, yet the sons of men have continually gone astray from my precepts and have not kept mine ordinances which I gave unto their fathers. They have neglected the ordinance of baptism which I commanded unto them in token of the burial of the natural man and have ceased to receive the anointing whereby they become kings and priests unto me. Yea, they have turned from my commandments and changed mine ordinances and have replaced baptism with the washing of children, which they call baptism. But behold, this is no baptism, for I will atone for the fall of Adam. Wherefore, little children are innocent until they reach the age of accountability. The Writings of Abraham, chapter 110, 7-10 Apparently, even in ancient times, people were snubbing an eighth-day circumcision in favor of baptizing their infants, a naughty no-no. Similar immortalization rites can be found in other ancient practices, whereby mothers would sacrifice their children to the flames. But that's just a side note. It says Elohim gave these ordinances to Adam in paradise. The context is circumcision, but also the entire law of Yahuwah. It additionally says mankind neglected the ordinance of baptism, thereby ceasing to receive the anointing whereby they become kings and priests unto the Most High. There it is again, the gospel of the kingdom. Where have we seen that before? Oh, I know. Shemoth, Exodus chapter 19. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Yasharel. Shemoth, Exodus chapter 19 verse 6. Seems pretty straightforward. We cannot say we're modeled after Yahusha, our own king and high priest, unless we're first baptized. That is the only way that we ourselves can become a king and priest of the kingdom. Perhaps now you can see what Yahusha meant when everybody else who denies baptism is ultimately destroyed. They have rejected the royal priesthood. Before ending this paper, I wanted to find the reference to Adam and Hava being baptized as Abraham claims. I looked and I scoured the pages of scripture, and having finally found it, we shall attempt to close on that note. You see, Adam and Hava's baptism brings us around full circle into the embrace of eternity. And to the north of the garden, there is a sea of water, clear and pure to the taste, unlike anything else, so that through the clearness thereof, one may look into the depths of the earth. And when a man washes himself in it, he becomes clean of the cleanness thereof, and white of its whiteness, even if he were dark. And Elohim created the sea of his own good pleasure, for he knew what would come of the man he would make, so that after he had left the garden, on account of his transgression, men should be born in the earth. Among them are righteous ones who will die, whose souls Elohim would raise at the last day when all of them will return to their flesh, bathe in the water of that sea, and repent of their sins. But when Elohim made Adam go out of the garden, 
he did not place him on the border of it northward. This was so that he and Eve would not be able to go near to the sea of water where they could wash themselves in it. Be cleansed from their sins, erase the transgression they had committed, and be no longer reminded of it in the thought of their punishment. The first book of Adam and Eve, chapter 1, 2 through 5. The scene is paradise, in heaven. Any officiando of the 66-book canon should immediately recognize a second witness in the book of Revelation. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. Read a little further, and the sea of glass makes yet another appearance. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the kithra of Elohim. Revelation chapter 15, verse 2. Fun fact, kithra is a string musical instrument similar to a lyre. Does anybody know how to play one of those things? I sure don't. That's kind of awkward. <laughs> Guess I'm going to have to learn. Reading further still. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of Elohim and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bore twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Revelation chapter 22, 1 through 2. Baptism begins where it ends, or rather, it ends where it first began, in heaven. Now we know why the former things will no longer be remembered. First Adam and Eve, chapter 1, verse 5, fills in that missing detail. Our heavenly baptism will erase all memory of our earthly transgressions. Each man's soul will forever be cleansed. It will then truly be said that we are dead to sin once and for all, as Torah is eternally written on our hearts. Along those lines, Shaul wrote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Never. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Yahusha HaMashiach, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Mashiach was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Mashiach, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Mashiach being raised from the dead dies no more, death has no more dominion over him. Romans chapter 6, 1-9 through The act of baptism is placing our fullest confidence in the perfect works of Mashiach, thereby awaiting our resurrection from the dead, having already been buried with him. The instructions afterwards are simple and straightforward. We also should walk in newness of life through a daily regimen of turning away from sin, that is, 
transgressing the law. At present, dipping in water isn't just a one-time affair. If we're doing it right, then it's a spiritual ceremony, a continual cleansing of the soul, a reminder that we have crossed over. As sons of Yasharel, we are no longer servants of sin. We can indeed obey Torah, as the gifting of the Ruach HaKodesh makes that possible. So the next time you immerse yourself, having already been baptized in the name of the Father, Yahuwah the Most High Elohim, the name of His Son, Yahusha HaMashiach, and the Ruach HaKodesh, just remember that you are a citizen of heaven and a royal priesthood. If you're bathing yourself but failing to see it as an act of ritual cleansing, or perhaps even repentance, then you're going about it all wrong. One final thought. If we are faithful and obedient to live out our instructions in righteous living, certainly to the best of our ability, it is because we believe that everything is but a shadow of what is to come. The kingdom is coming. What we ultimately long for then is our baptism in the sea of glass. Here on earth, only the believing need apply.